I want to say a big thank you uh, to all the people that uh, helped out while I was away over the summer. Obviously, our staff, Erica, Nate, and Liz, and uh, our interns did just a great job. And I really do appreciate that. And I appreciate all their work, uh, those who spoke this summer <clears throat> and carried on this series in the book of James. And I'm really glad to get back into it. The book of James is uh, one of the most contemporary books, I believe. It speaks to us in a very contemporary way. And, um, you know, it comes at a time, James wrote this at a time when the church was starting to, was starting to grow and uh, they kind of get settled. And when people get settled, sometimes they need a little shakeup. And you've probably heard some of the most challenging messages this summer from the book of James because they're unsettling. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of shake-up messages. And, uh, and this one's going to be like that too, you know? And so I just encourage you. Because what this message is going to be about, it's about giving up the immediate pleasures of life and waiting patiently for what's to come. Now, that's not something that's necessarily built into our culture today. We like things right now. My family's teasing me because I've become a bit of an Amazon addict. <clears throat> it seems like every day or every other day a parcel comes from Amazon, you know? And what's he got now is the question in our house. Um, but I was sitting at the table on, um, on Friday, uh, and I was doing something at the kitchen table, and Hope came in. She had been watering the flowers, and she said, I need a couple more watering cans. So I picked up my phone, <laughs> clicked on my Amazon app, and uh, I ordered her a couple um, uh, watering cans. And before 11 o'clock the next morning, the watering cans were delivered. You see, we don't, we, don't, we don't live in a world that waits. As Sarah said to me, she said, well, you know, what's wrong with going to Walmart? I, well, I couldn't have gone to Walmart that fast, <laughs> really. It was there so quickly. You know, now, if you're a Prime member, you can get one day service sometimes. Anyway, we're not the kind of people that want to wait for things. And James is admonishing us in today's section of the book of James in chapter 5 to begin to wait. And this is what he has to say. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the, for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Well, this, um, if you were here last week or if you listened to, to uh, Pastor Eric's message on, uh, on our podcast, uh, you see what appears to be a very abrupt change of topic. Because last week he was talking about, uh, in the beginning part of this chapter, James is talking about kind of a warning to the rich people. And then all of a sudden he says, uh, after that warning and that prediction of great doom for people who love riches too much, he comes up with this statement about, 
be patient in waiting for the Lord's return. <clears throat> now I want to tell you that he's talking not about, this is not two different things, he's talking about the same thing. He's talking about the same thing. Let me tell you how. You see, the Bible talks about the, um, there's a comparison in the Bible between the life of the kingdom, Jesus talks about the life of the kingdom, and he invites us into the life of the kingdom, and there is the life of the world, worldliness, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And there's two kingdoms, there's two systems, as it were, in, in, that operate, and, uh, and you have to choose which system you're operating in. Are you operating in the kingdom, or are you operating in the world? Those who follow Jesus and his teaching, um, <clears throat> we generally call those people Christians, they're following um, the kingdom. Those who are not Christians, uh, we assume, are following the world the worldly ways. And the Bible tells us to be wary, those of us who are following the kingdom, of not slipping into the ways of the world. Now, I've heard a lot of messages in my lifetime about being wary of worldliness. Growing up in the kind of the holiness tradition of the church, we were often told, beware of things of the world. Don't get involved in things in the world. But things of the world, when I was listening to those messages, now maybe it's because I was young and immature, but mostly they were talking about things that seemed like fun. You know, like sex and booze and parties and dancing and things like that. And it kind of gave the impression that everything about the kingdom was dull and boring and everything about the kingdom, about the world was happy and fun and, uh, <clears throat> and a bit sour. But, you know, when you take the scripture and you look at what it means to be the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world in a comparison, Jesus makes it very clear what the world system is. Now, all of those things of worldliness, all of those things of, of feeding the flesh and, and just pampering our flesh and doing whatever our flesh asks us to do, that is part of the worldly system. But what drives the system of worldliness? Well, Jesus makes it very clear that the system of worldliness, he calls it by one word. He calls it the system of mammon the system of mammon. He says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's in the King James Version. Well, in modern versions, it's translated, the word mammon is translated money. Now, that's not really a great translation of the word mammon, I understand. Not that I can really translate it. I'm not a Greek scholar, never took Greek. So I can't really tell. I can only tell what others have said to me or what I have learned. But mammon really talks about a system. Money talks about what you have in your pocket. And there's nothing wrong with carrying money in your pocket and using the commerce of the world. But there is something dangerous about following the system of mammon. And there are two different things. You see, um, elsewhere in the Scripture, in the New Testament, it says, do not, <clears throat> that it's not money that's the problem, it's the love of money that is the root of all evil. So it's this, it's this involvement, this, this, um, this being consumed with the system of mammon that is the problem. And there are two distinct kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of mammon. And I would dare say that this concept of, 
of mammon is what fuels the whole world system. What drives crime in our world? When we look at evil around us, when we look at crime, when we look at, when we look at war, why do countries go to war? When we look at all the things and all the evil in the world, what is often the driving force? It's that system of mammon, that system of pleasing self, of getting more for me. And it's that system that we have to be careful of. The opposing system to God's kingdom is mammon. So what preceded this be patient in waiting for the Lord's return was the, was the portion that Eric spoke on last week, which is this. Look here, you rich people. Weep and groan with anguish because all the terrible of the troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth you were counting on will eat away your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay, the cries of those who harvest your fields and reach the ear, have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You have fattened yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. You have pushed the system to get more and more. That's the system of mammon, the kingdom of mammon. When you're hoarding for yourself and you're abusing others to get more for yourself. So when, when James makes this switch, it appears, and he says, brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. What happens at the Lord's return is that those who are part of the kingdom of God receive the fulfillment of that kingdom in its fullness. In other words, the reward of following the kingdom comes not today, not maybe tomorrow, but it comes when the fulfillment of that kingdom comes when Jesus comes again at the coming of the Lord. You see, the ch option of chasing after mammon and the worldliness of greed is there, or you can wait patiently for what will come when the Lord gives you what you deserve. We should be praying as Jesus taught us to pray, and as we just prayed a few moments ago, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should not be praying, God, give me more prosperity here on earth. And again, there's nothing wrong with being prosperous or having money. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to serve the kingdom. And if it's God's will that we be blessed as we serve the kingdom so that we can be a conduit of wealth from the world into the kingdom, the work of the kingdom, then God will use you in that way if you will be open to that. I believe that, and I believe God gives prosperity to people who are in the kingdom in order that the kingdom can advance until Jesus returns. You see, we are told not to look for this fleeting, momentary bit of satisfaction, but to wait for the fullness of the coming of the Lord and the system of his kingdom being fully established. 
The Bible tells us that Jesus will come again to establish his kingdom here on earth to restore all things to the way they should be and an economy will be put into place that will be a blessing to all. It's not an economy of, of, of rich and poor and, and haves and have-nots. It's con- an economy, the Bible says, of righteousness, mercy, and justice. And we're called into that, into bringing that, that economy to earth in, in every place that we go. So we're not chasing after the things of this world. We're chasing after the righteousness and the mercy and the justice of God in this world. That's what our role is. And so we use money in order to do that. We use the money that God gives us. In order, money just becomes a tool for us. It's not our idol. It's not our God. Paul says, or James says, the coming of the Lord is near. The New Testament church, in, in, uh, in the time that James is writing this, believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. In fact, you read Paul, you read others, there was, a, there was a sense that Jesus, because Jesus said, you know, in the same way I'm going away, I'll come again. As I just disappear right now, I will appear. It will happen in a twinkling of an eye, in a flash I'm gone, and I'll come back. And so they believed. There was no timeline given. There was no, it's going to be, you know, five days. It's going to be 15 days. Well, he did say go and tarry in Jerusalem (laughs) and wait for the Holy Spirit to come, but he didn't really give any timeline as to how long it would be. And they believed that Jesus would come back at any moment. And so as they were waiting, the temptation for them was to slip back into the kingdom of mammon. That's what happens when we're waiting. We tend to say, oh, well, he hasn't come yet. It hasn't arrived. It hasn't, so maybe I'll just go and get it for myself. So James says there's dangers in this season of waiting. There's a danger while you wait for the coming of the Lord and for your reward and for the kingdom to be established. And he says... He says, in this time of waiting, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. You see, when Jesus comes, Jesus coming is near, he says, and when he comes, he will judge the earth. The Bible's very clear about that. He will judge what you did with what you had, what you were given, both materially and all the other things that you've been given, the gifts that you've been given, the the talents, the intelligence, the time, everything will be judged on those things. But he says there's some dangers here when you think about waiting. I think the first danger that comes to people is that you become cynical and, and, um, and start to lose enthusiasm. You know, like, Like, how many times uh, are people going to talk about Jesus coming again? See, see, they thought he was coming in the first, you know, 20 years. And we're more than 2,000 years later, and we're still talking about the coming of the Lord. So it's easy to say, well, maybe maybe we misheard Jesus. Maybe it wasn't quite the way... He, you know, that we imagine it, so maybe it's different. And, and you can become cynical. You know, like Ch- Chicken Little running around saying, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and just begin to ignore him after a while. Begin to ignore the message of the coming of Jesus. Because we've just become cynical, and we think, well, maybe this is all there is. 
Maybe this is the kingdom. Maybe, so I might as well get into this kingdom and, and give myself fully to it and get all I can. The other thing, and Paul talks about, uh, James talks about this directly, he says you start quarreling with one another. Have you ever noticed that waiting makes you cranky? Look at the person next to you and tell them, waiting sometimes makes me cranky. You know, I'm, I mean, not me, of course. <laughs> Hope I never get cranky when I'm waiting for you, right? <laughs> you know, it seems like, you know, every time we're going somewhere, it's like, you know, I'm ready to go, and there's one more thing she has to do. It's tough, isn't it, being me? <laughs> we get cranky when we have to wait for things. We get cranky when we have to stand in line. We get cranky. Have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever seen someone been in line and then someone cuts in front of the line and seen the person that gets really mad about the person getting, you know? It just makes them angry. They get cranky. And sometimes when we have been waiting so long, we start getting cranky and grumbling about one another. And we keep, you know, <laughs> and, and I think we've done this. I think that's what the church has done in these last couple thousand years. We just keep grumbling at one another and we keep splitting ourselves into more and more ways of thinking. So now we literally have thousands of denominations. Started out with one church and now we've got thousands of denominations because we keep dividing over little disagreements on things. Instead of focusing on what we agree on, we focus on what we disagree on. Even on this issue of the, of the second coming of Christ, look at how many different views there are about that and how vehemently Christians will oppose one another on how they think it's going to unfold or when Jesus is going to come back or when he's not going to come back or has he already come back or, you know, all that kind of thing. There's, there's all kinds of arguments out there and we just keep splitting ourselves up because we've been waiting and we get cranky with one another. And James says, watch out for that. But then we also look for alternative satisfaction. It's kind of like the first thing I said, becoming cynical and lose enthusiasm. But, but in, that, in those moments of waiting, sometimes we just start looking for an alternative. So I'm waiting for hope. You know, I might pull out my phone and, you know, do something else. Because I don't want to just sit there quietly and wait. And I might even huff a little bit for her. So there's a story in the Old Testament, and it's a very interesting story, and some of you may know it, and some of you may not, but Moses had led the, the nation of Israel out of captivity. Out of, they, were, they were slaves in Egypt, and he had led them out, and uh, he, he had you know, convinced Pharaoh, and they went across. They, they crossed the Red Sea in that miraculous way, and they were in the wilderness, and they were, you know, they were safe now from Pharaoh, and, uh, and God told Moses, I want you to come up in the mountain, uh, up to the mountain, and I want to give you the law. God wanted to give to Moses the, 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 um, the guidelines for how these people should live. They needed to know this. They've been slaves for 400 years and have been told what to do. They've been told when to eat, when to get up, when to sleep, when to work, when to, when to do this and when to do that. They were told everything. And so they had become a people that were very, very um, unsocialized. 
They were not people that could really take care of themselves. And so, so Moses was in charge of these people, and God wanted to tell him, okay, I want to give you the law so that you can help these people discern between what the, what the, what the, how the Egyptians live and to how they should live. And so Moses went up the mountain. And he said to the people, I'm going to go up, I'm going to talk to God. And they saw this cloud come around the mountain, and they saw thunder and lightning and all kinds of noise, and they were terrified. And they said, we're not getting any closer, Moses. You go up and talk to God. We're not getting any closer. But we'll wait for you here. And he did. He told them to wait. And they waited. And they waited. And they waited. And then they started to say, well, is he coming? Is he going to come back? Well, what are we doing? We, we don't have a God now. We don't have anybody to lead us. We don't have anybody to take care of us. He said he was going to bring back the word of God, and, and he didn't bring it. And, and they became very insecure in their season of waiting. So much so that they put pressure on, on Aaron, who Moses had left in charge, and, and they said, uh, Aaron, we need, we need something to bring us all together. Otherwise, we're going to have trouble here. We can't keep waiting like this. And so they came up with the idea that they would, they would create an idol. They would create their own god. And they brought all their, their gold and their, their precious stuff, and, and they melted down, and they, they created an idol. Interesting, it was made of gold. It was a golden calf. It represents mammon the kingdom of mammon, self-preservation, self-advancement. And they began to worship this golden calf. They began to worship all around it, brought them together for sure in debauchery, in immorality, in, in acting like the pagans around them. You see, sometimes when we have to wait, we forget about God and his promises, and we just begin to make our own idols out of mammon, out of all of those things. We create them, and we worship them. And in our society, we have all kinds of idols, idols of celebrity, idols of possessions, idols of materialism, idols of consumerism, idols of sex, idols of pleasure, idols of all kinds of things that our world has created because Jesus hasn't come back to say an end to it all. But we're called to wait and to hold on to the promise of the kingdom of God. Then he goes on and he says, in this idea of waiting patiently, he says there are examples of people who waited patiently and they got the reward that was intended for them. He says, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers, he admits that sometimes waiting is like suffering. Sometimes waiting is doing without. Sometimes wait is self, waiting is self-denial. Sometimes waiting is passing on the immediate pleasures of this season and looking for the things that God has for us later. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. 
for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Even in waiting, you can experience the mercy and the tenderness of the Lord. When we answer the call to follow Christ in his kingdom, we look not for a reward now, we look for the fullness of that kingdom. Until then, we work to do our best to bring the kingdom, to establish the kingdom, the kingdom way everywhere we go. You see, Jesus said it this way, it's not about building treasure here on earth. It's not about storing up treasure here on earth. It's about storing up treasure in heaven, in the kingdom. Treasure that will last beyond this life. Treasure that we'll, 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 we'll be able to, to hold on to for eternity. You know, it's not to minimize any other sin, like sins of morale, immorality or other sins. But the greatest risk, I believe, for the church today is not giving over to the world system of sexual immorality, but rather the biggest danger is mammon. The biggest danger that the kingdom of God faces, the, the, the greatest tool of temptation that the enemy has is the gift, is, is, the, is the temptation of mammon. Following this system and, and forgetting that God, you see, out of mammon comes all those other things. Perversions and all kinds of things. But it begins with this decision that you're going to take as much for yourself and no matter what the cost is to other people. As a church, we, we, we purposely have set out our values to be outward focused, to be so that we would, we would be thinking at everything we do, how does this impact other people? It's not about how we can make this a more pleasurable place for ourselves, even though we hope it is a pleasurable place to come and worship. But the idea is for us to challenge one another, to encourage one another, to do our part in establishing the kingdom wherever we are in our work, in our neighborhoods, in our schools. It's about, so we, we try to value the things that take our focus off ourselves and take our focus into the world, to the grace of God. That's why I say to you, if you can only volunteer in one place, do it outside, but do it with all your heart. Give 100% to that as you do it to the Lord, bringing the kingdom of God where you go, establishing his kingdom. There's another story in the Old Testament that I want to close with. And it's an odd story, and, and I learned it in Sunday school, but I learned it as a, in a way that was very terrifying. But I want to tell it to you in a different way today. And when we think about the options that are laid before us, the kingdom or mammon, are you going to wait for the coming of the Lord and the reward that he has for you? Or are you going to go for the reward now? You see, this, is, this isn't in my notes, but you know, even charity, even charity is, is, is part of mammon. Giving money to the poor can be part of the system of mammon. Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, you know, you give your money to the poor, but you give it so that others will acknowledge you and your kindness your philanthropy, your, your, your generosity. And he said, when you do that, it's good, but that's your reward. You got the reward of the system of mammon when everybody clapped for you and said, oh, what a good giver you are, how generous you are. You see, the system of the kingdom says, give, but don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. 
serve like Jesus served. But anyway, this story that I want to tell you about, it happens in the, in the book of Joshua, and it's, um, it's when the Israelites are first going into the promised land, the land of Canaan. And they are going to, um, they're going to take the town of Jericho. The, you know, they, they know that this is a military venture for them because there are, there are settled towns and uh, they've got to take this city of Jericho as the first one. And the Lord advises them, uh, advises Joshua to this. He says, okay, I'm going to give you the, you're not going to lay a finger. You're not going to have to lift a hand to get Jericho. But here's what I want. I'm going to take Jericho, but I don't want anybody to take any of the spoils out of Jericho. Not one little teaspoon. You give it all into the treasury. Give it all to the treasury. I'll win this battle. You give it all to the treasury. And, uh, and so that's what happened. The, the, you know, they marched around the walls. If you don't know the story, they marched around the walls. They blew a trumpet, and the walls fell in. And that's how the story goes in the Scripture. But there was one man. His name was Achan, or Achan, A-C-H-A-N. And he took a little for himself. And he took, a, took you know, some gold and some, or some trinkets. Probably didn't take a whole pile because he couldn't hide a whole pile because all he had was a tent, they were, they were nomadic people, so he took it back to his tent. He dug a hole in the floor of his tent, and, <clears throat> and he buried it. <clears throat> when they went to war again to the next town, they lost. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so they, they, you know, they, they, the, the leaders consulted God, and, and the answer that came to them was, someone, you didn't win this battle because someone disobeyed. Someone disobeyed, and they took from the loot of Jericho. This is an odd story. Um, and uh, so they, they went through the whole camp. <clears throat> and in the end, they found Achan and his little box of trinkets. His little box of trinkets. He stole for himself the treasure of Jericho. It was something that was to be shared with everyone. It was something that was to benefit the whole community. There's another story in the New Testament, and it's almost as weird as that story, because Achan died. He was killed. Then there's a story in the New Testament when the church forms, and there's this, there's this, there's this people, they're all gung-ho for the kingdom of God, and they're saying, yes, let's go with the kingdom. Let's give everything to the kingdom. So they all start selling their possessions and their land, and they bring all the money into the treasury of the church. And they're excited. They want to give everything. They want to give 100%. But then there's this couple that want to appear one way, but they want to keep, they want to stay in the kingdom of mammon. And uh, so they bring their, they, they, they sell their land and they come, their names are Ananias and Sapphira. Um, and they come to Peter to bring their, their gift and, 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 um, and Peter, by a word of knowledge, knows that they haven't given everything and he calls them on it and Shortly after they speak with Peter, they're both dead. <laughs> now, you see why those stories would have terrified a child, right? <laughs> so you do everything the Lord says, otherwise he's going to kill you. <laughs> I 
That's what I heard when I was a kid. The thing that I want you to draw from this is that when we take for ourselves what belongs to the Lord, we destroy ourselves. We don't need God to intervene to kill us. The system of mammon and its ways, that's what James is talking about in the first part of this chapter. If you're holding on to your riches, it's all going to rust and crumble. You have nothing in the end. The system of mammon leads you to a place of destruction, of loss, of grief, of pain and sorrow. But waiting for the fullness of the kingdom of God, being obedient to God with all you have, with all the resources he gives you, when you are obedient to God with all of those things, you can confidently wait, even if it's sacrificial giving, even if, it's, even if it's poverty, there are places in the world where people follow Jesus as earnestly or more earnestly than you and I do, and they have nothing. And they still follow Jesus. But they're given to the kingdom. And they're tempted to mammon, too. It's a, it's a system in this world. Luke says it this way, and I'll close with this. In Luke chapter 6, he says, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as, you as evil because you follow the Son of Man? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. What sorrow awaits those who are rich, for they have, for they have their, their own happiness now we hold on to the kingdom of god wait patiently what does it mean to wait patiently today for you and i well first of all we commit ourselves to christ and his kingdom being committed to the kingdom is not just about praying one little prayer and then you're in it's about giving your whole life to the lord and following his ways and and living his way so we commit ourselves to him and his kingdom. And I think many of us in this room probably have already committed ourselves to him, but I want to challenge you today to, to, to take a moment. We're going to be quiet in a moment, and I want you to just invite him to show you where your reach has touched into the kingdom of mammon. Because it's, it's not an if thing. It's almost a certain thing. We are so steeped in it. I see it in my own life, even when I use my Amazon app. There's fun in being in part of that. And we're all wooed by the system of mammon. And, and I encourage you to ask the Lord where it is that you have been enticed by this system and where you could more fully dedicate yourself to the kingdom, even at a cost to you because you're willing to wait for the day that Jesus comes and he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your reward that I have for you. Would you take a moment and just ask the Lord? He might not tell you right now. It's not that he gives you an answer. You're just telling him. You're giving him permission to point out to you how your life may have become intertwined with the system of mammon.